Good evening and welcome to The Midnight Owl. I am your host, Tim. The Midnight Owl is a proud member of the Not After 30 podcast network. This week's episode is about the time traveler, John Titer. Dear Art, I had to fax when I heard other time travelers calling in from any other time past the year 2500 AD. Please let me explain. Time travel was invented in 2034. Offshoots of certain successful fusion reactor research allowed scientists at CERN to produce the world's first contained singularity engine. The basic design involves rotating singularities inside a magnetic field. By altering the speed and direction of rotation, you can travel both forwards and backward in time. Time itself can be understood in terms of connected lines. When you go back in time, you travel on your original timeline. When you turn your singularity engine off, a new timeline is created, due to the fact that you and your time machine are now there. In other words, a new universe is created. To get back to the original line, you must travel a split second farther back and immediately throw the engine into forward without turning it off. Some interesting outcomes of this are... 1. You meet yourself. I've done it often. Even taking a younger version of myself along for a few rides before returning myself to the new timeline and going back to mine. 2. You can alter history. In the new universe that you have just created, most of the time the changes are subtle. Sometimes I'll notice car models that don't exist or books that come out late. The oldest one was a skyscraper that wasn't built in a near favorite store of mine in New York. Interestingly, when you travel in time, you must compensate for the orbit of the Earth. Since the time machine doesn't move, you have to adjust the engine so you remain on the planet when you turn it off. Unfortunately, it was also discovered that anyone going forward in time from my 2036 hit a brick wall in the year 2564. Everyone who has ever been there has reported that nothing exists. When the machine is off, you find yourself surrounded by blackness and silence. Now, most time travelers are trying to find out where the line went bad by going into the past, creating a new universe, and proceeding forward to see if the same thing results in 2564. It appears the lines went bad around the year 2000. I'm here now, in this time, to test a few theories of mine before going forward. Now. For the future you might want to know about? 1. Y2K is a disaster. Many people die on the highways when they freeze to death trying to get to warmer weather. 2. The government tries to keep power by instituting martial law, but all of it collapses when their efforts to bring the power back fail. 3. A power facility in Denver is able to restart itself, but is mobbed by hundreds of thousands of people and destroyed. This convinces most that maybe we shouldn't bring the old system back up. 4. A few years later, a communal government system is developed. 
After that, the Constitution takes a few twists. China retakes Taiwan, Israel wins the largest battle for their life, and Russia is covered in nuclear snow from their collapsed reactors. Art, the reason I'm here now is because I believe a nuclear weapon set off by Iraq in the Middle East war with Israel might have something to do with the damaged timeline. I will test that theory and get back to you. Please pray that we discover the reason why there is no apparent future after 2564. Dear Mr. Bell, I'm glad you're back. I faxed this information to you the day before you left the air. I wanted to make sure it wasn't lost in the shuffle, so I'm sending you a gift. If you've already seen this, please accept my apologies. If you've chose to make this public, please do not publish the fax number. I had to fax when I heard the other time traveler calling in from the recent time past in fact the year 2500 AD. Let me explain, Mr. Bell. I sent the fax this opening on July 29th, 1998. As I said then, I am a time traveler. I've been on this world line since April of this year, and I plan to leave soon. Typically time travelers do not purposely affect the world lines they visit. However, this mission is unusually long, and I've grown attached to some of the people I've met here. Anyway, for my own reasons I've decided to help this world line by sharing information about the future with a few people in the hopes that it will help their future. I'm contacting you for the same reason. Unfortunately, there is no historical reference to your program in my world line. I believe you can change your future by creating a new one. Some of the information presented on your program may be invaluable to upline researchers. I suggest you isolate the programs that concentrate on military technology and new physics theories. Transcribe these programs and put them someplace safe, away from the box. I recommend someplace in the Midwest. I also urge you to reconsider your paranoia to the Russians. They are not preparing for war with the average US citizen. They are preparing for war with the US government. They will eventually save this country and the lives of millions of Americans. I realize my claims are a bit difficult to accept so I will send the following once I know you have received this fax. A few pages from the operations manual of my time machine and a few colored photographs of my vehicle. If you wish to contact me I will be happy to share with you the nature of time, the physics of time travel, and some of the events of your future. These are the two faxes Art Bell read on air in 1998 that are attributed to John Titer. Stories are told in many ways. Some are bare-bones recollections of scattered events painting a cohesive picture only when you step far enough back. Some stories are the hero's journey, the call to adventure, death and rebirth, threshold guardians, etc. Some skip to the end and then bounce back to the beginning. While other stories are told in an outpouring of thoughts and emotions as it comes to the writer's mind. Stream of consciousness. Everyone tells a story in their own way. Personally, I collect my disjointed thoughts, throw them on a page, and then edit and play with the chaos until I find a coherent thread in the mess and pull on it, till a logical series of events can be presented to somebody else. 
When you're trying to communicate and can't get your point across, it can become a barrier that strips away confidence. You learn to expect a furrowed brow. John Titer told his story, in his way, what he would allow himself to tell of that story at least. John did this in the questions he asked and the way he answered others. He did this through a veil of anonymity online. Between November 2nd, 2000 and March 21st, 2001, he posted on various message boards. On the Art Bell forums for Coast to Coast AM. Yeah, that same show that allegedly sparked the Heaven's Gate cult into mass suicide when Art Bell reported the image of an object trailing the Hale-Bopp comet. That same one. His first username was TimeTravel underscore zero, which was the early days of the internet, so you could still get TimeTraveler1 or zero. Now it'd probably be 6,539. Later on, he went by John Titer. No one knows if John is his real identity. Computer chair detectives looked for him in phone books and registries in Florida. No Titers were ever located. He was born in 1998, so he would be about two at the time his older self was posting. John Titer. If it was a hitting meaning, maybe it's John Doe, time traveler? The Art Bell forum he chose to post to was specifically dedicated to time travelers. His first introduction to the world was Art Bell reading John's faxes live on air in 1998. John Titer was a man from another world with a message of warning. What most heard was a troll trying to bait people into believing so that they could be laughed at after the big reveal. Based on the archives of John's posts, I want to try to tell you his story today. To do that, we have to start at the beginning. The year is 2036. He lives on a military base in Florida. It's been 20 years since World War III. Mr. Titer is 38. It's been 27 years since the opening shots of the Second American Civil War. Life is different now. More isolated to small communities. More attention paid to the family. Life is hard work, but fulfilling. In 2036, people are valued and judged based on their contribution and worth. Work is organized around the family, and the value of that work is assessed inside of the community. Most communities range in size from thousand to four thousand people. If a family would like to move from one community to another, or if a son or daughter wanted to move to another community, they must apply to be interviewed by the Community Leadership Council. During this process, the family or individual is evaluated as to whether or not the work or skill they have is required or necessary to that individual community. Once accepted, the family or individual is expected to uphold their end of the work and support the community. If they don't, the community stops supporting them and they are forced to change their attitude or move away from the community. John's family work before going back to university was picking, sorting, and shipping oranges by sailboat up and down the coast of Florida. His family was expected to produce a contracted amount for the community and a contracted amount for other communities, as agreed to by their CLC, which I have to assume is Community Living Contract. In exchange for their family work, they would receive power, water, and a certain amount of food or other necessities that were produced inside of the community. 
There is no large industrial complex for making wild surpluses of excess food or recreational items. Religion is again a powerful force in people's lives. Food and livestock is grown locally, partly because of the loss of farmable areas and the fallout of nuclear war, partially because it's considered horrifying to eat the chemically laced food that's packed with preservatives of what people eat today. The elderly are looked to for their wisdom. Seniors are a shared responsibility at the community level, so are orphans. Dress is much more functional and they dress up whenever they get a chance. No shorts to church. There's less medical treatment in the future even though it's more advanced. People die when they know it's time to die. Genetic medicine and cloning organs are the new medical technologies of the future. They have cars are just much less prevalent. There's public transportation from city to city by high-speed rail. The capital was moved to Omaha, Nebraska. The constitution was changed after the war. They have five presidents that are voted in and out on different term periods. The vice president is the president of the Senate and they are voted separately. The American flag still exists, but there has been a debate on whether or not to change it from 50 stars down to five. There are now over 10 major political parties. Although there may be more of a rustic, non-materialistic lifestyle, the internet still exists. Computers are much more powerful and the net is everywhere, and well maintained through relay towers sending out signals much like our current cell phone tower system. Just like the year 2020, everyone has cell phones. Most of the music we enjoy today is still available on internet archives although megastars lip-syncing on stage have gone the way of the dinosaur. TV shows and movies are still made. The major corporations are gone, it's more by individual creators. It's decentralized. People are making their own content and distributing it over the net. Apparently talk radio programs hosted on the net are rather popular. Does that sound familiar to you? The future man was saying podcasts exist. Here's a theory for you. John's future was all messed up because of the Civil War, so Apple and his future must not have had podcasts. The Civil War was in 2004, same time that podcasts would have been invented, or at least branded. Which is why, when podcasts were inevitably created to fill the void in humanity's heart because it's a beautiful art form, it would be the exact same thing under a different name. It's a natural evolution once you have the medium of the internet. Gender, race, and sexual orientation prejudices have eroded. Uh, John once posted, After the war, much of the prejudice you have now was swept away by simple necessity. People had to work and fight together just to survive. This has a way of opening a person's eyes as to the value of their fellow human beings. What difference does the color of a man's skin make when you're both fighting against the same enemy to survive, or find water, or grow food? On my world line, if a man doesn't pull his weight in the community, then we feel prejudice towards him as a burden to us. His feeling of shame he experiences then makes him realize his responsibilities. The education system has evolved as well. 2036 students learn how to learn. 
Since community activities vary from place to place, the emphasis on basic reading, math, and language is augmented with skills particular to the community. One school may emphasize farming while another teaches woodworking. Having children is a bit different and less common in 2036. A typical school day involves a setting much like it was a hundred years ago, with smaller classes and few administrators or teachers. Common areas of study in 2036 is history, citizenship, personal economics. On a governmental level, the main goal is going into repairing the environment. It's actually why John is getting sent back to 1975, to collect a very special IBM computer. John and seven other time travelers are currently deployed on mission. Well, those eight, and every version of those eight across the super universe of infinite worlds are also time traveling to adjacent world lines. A person is made up of experiences. We relate to each other based on how we interpret another's experiences and internalize how those events would make that person feel. We can't really understand John's mentality or the psychology of a post-nuclear war society. They don't keep time travel a secret in John's world line. How can we understand the psyche of a country that knows they have the ability to travel forwards and backwards in time? It would impact every facet of society, including religion. How does the church understand the infinite possibility of endless world lines? John tried to explain this once by saying, There is a difference of philosophy between us that should be clarified. Since I believe that all possible outcomes and events are possible, probable, and certain, it is impossible to assign goodness or badness to a person or situation. On some other world line, I am an insane time traveler causing destruction and death while name of foreign member who confronts John on a regular basis, chases me with his band of devoted followers. However, on this one, I am not. Since both events are certain, their value is neutral. You can only assign goodness and badness to the events and experiences you have direct control over or witness. Only actions are good and bad, not people or things. I suppose if I was a psychotic killer, I could accomplish my mission, avoid capture, and still return to my world line of origin without penalty. There would be no way for them to know what happened. However, I believe that action is wrong, and I would be accountable to my god. The people of our current world line are not remembered fondly. We are viewed as lazy, self-serving individuals that are happy to have someone else do our thinking for us. We are seen as responsible for the war through our inaction. I mentioned a few times the nuclear war. End day. Nearly three billion people died. When asked what John would tell the leaders of today, he said, Revel in your confidence today because you will not win tomorrow. Russia and China launched against the states in the European Union. The United States fired back. 2015 was end day, and that ended the civil war. John's side won because the Russians launched against the cities. Cities had already been surrounded and were seen as the home of the enemy. The United States that rose from the ashes remembers Russia as an ally. 
an ally that never saw the people of America as its enemy. Their enemy was the men and women creating dynasties of family names believing that they had the right, the moral obligation to pass power amongst themselves. To disregard the constitution when it wasn't convenient to them. That although they were the inheritors of those that refused dynastic rule, they had the wisdom or hubris to rebuild that legacy. When the civil conflict started and got worse, people generally decided to either stay in the cities and lose most of their civil rights under the guise of security, or leave the cities for more isolated and rural areas. Our home was searched once, and the neighbor across the street was arrested for some unknown reason. That convinced my father to leave the city. From the ages of 8 to 12, we lived away from the cities and spent most of our time in a farm community, with other families avoiding conflict with the federal police and national guard. By that time, it was pretty clear that we were not going back to what we had, and the division between the cities and the country was well defined. My father made a living by putting together 12-volt electrical systems and sailing commodities up and down the coast of Florida. I spent most of my time helping him. Outright open fighting was common by then and I joined a shotgun infantry unit in 2011. I served with the Fighting Diamondbacks for about four years. Hearing in my right ear isn't as good as I'd like it. The Civil War ended in 2015 when Russia attacked the U.S. cities, our enemy, China and Europe. As unusual and bad as my childhood might seem, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yes, I am free, but I have obligations as a citizen. Everyone is required to have basic military training and provide a period of time for community service. It is very much like a type of mandatory National Guard service. Peace Corps. In Omaha, they have a large bronze statue of the Farmer General. In one hand, he is holding a shotgun. In the other hand, he is holding a copy of the Constitution. His face is turned up, looking at the sky in defiance of a god that killed his father. A soldier's winter. The day before, it wasn't snowing. The trees are strangers, leering disapproving in the ash of winter. My world, my life, my wandering path. I pray God's eyes may once again gaze upon me and remind me that I am still his child. John described the many worlds theory that says every choice creates a new world line. That in a sense, anything is possible because the infinite super universe is made up of infinite numbers of world lines constantly diverging further apart, creating new lines from the choices people make. However, the ends of the spectrum may be drastically different to the point that we would see one end versus the other as alien worlds, there are lines that are so close together that it would be hard to tell any difference. Maybe it could be a win for the home team instead of the away, maybe a different director of a movie. Maybe an event happens sooner or later. By traveling back in time, John said it would create a new world line. His presence creating a difference between the world he left and the world he arrived in. A new realm of possibilities. A butterfly farts and a dragon dies. 
He said that our worlds diverge, but not by much. His computer calculated it to around 2%. John's world sent back time traveler to worlds like theirs, looking for devices to help repair their world that were lost in the war. I mentioned John Titer was on a mission when we met him in 2000. This was his mission. Go back and gather old tech. He was recruited during his time at the University of Fort Florida. He was always drawn to pre-war society, wanting to understand the people there from the archives of books and magazines that survived the war. This caught the attention of the military. They needed to send back people that were familiar with the world they would be entering so they could act incognito. Holy shit, being a history major could finally be useful! The time travelers were sent back with a period-appropriate car with a good suspension to handle the weight of the time machine. I don't know if this was a wink to the Back to the Future, if this is all a hoax, but well done. During travel, a bubble of gravity was created, lifting the first few inches of soil with it. You'd feel about two G's worth of pressure push you back into your seat, light bending around the bubble until you're encased in darkness. The air in the cabin is all you have unless you bring extra oxygen. Gravity detectors make sure as you re-enter there is no objects in your way. It locks you to a certain location because you have to keep in mind that as you travel back, the Earth in the universe is in constant motion and has always been in motion. Therefore, it is in a different location than where you left it when you first traveled. There has been some talk about even time traveling to the moon. All you would have to do is time your window correctly. Although if you were successful, you'd be on a different world line and no one would know if it was successful. As you re-enter time, light comes back. Uh, he described it as exiting a tunnel into a rainbow. What the government needed was an IBM 5100. John's grandfather was one of the engineers that created this device. This was another criteria, the volunteer had to have a personal connection to the person they were getting sent back to get help from. It doesn't sound like strong arm tactics are high on the military's list of operational guidelines in 2036. It was John's job to compel his ancestor to help him. Not really anything stands out when you think about the 5100. It's one of the first portable computers ever mass produced. Think of a tiny box with a green screen little bigger than a deck of cards with a keyboard attached directly to it. The secret that set it apart was its ability to translate between a few different computer programming languages. IBM never published this information. It would have been a major competitive edge for other companies to reverse engineer it, so the secret was kept. Until a few years after John posted about its ability, an IBM engineer came forward and confirmed it. This computer was needed to make some changes in 2036 to old systems. A known computer programming problem is the 2038 problem. The 2038 problem is that a signed 4-byte integer has a maximum value of 2,147,483,000 and this is where the year 2038 problem comes from. 
the maximum value of time before it rolls over to a negative and invalid value is 2,147,483,647, which translates into January 19, 2038. On this date, any C programs that use the standard time library will start to have problems with date calculations. Alright, I'm going to translate that back to English and the simpleton, because that's me. I have no idea what I just said, I just googled it and cut and paste. All to say, it's basically the same problem as Y2K. The programming calculations get maxed out, the date codes roll over to zero and start counting up, which results in massive crashes and glitches because of invalid code. The nuclear war caused massive electrical magnetic pulses, EMPs, that wiped out most tech. He never exactly said what they needed it for, but the programming of the 70s and 80s show up in legacy programs all of the time. The fact that he is traveling back from 2036 implies that it has to do with the 2038 problem. So John's grandfather got him an IBM 5100 and made a few tweaks that were needed. The coding would be ancient by the time people were trying to emulate the programming in 2036. Maybe it was easier or necessary to have the original programmer tamper with it. So why is John in 2000 if his mission was to 1976? A part of his deal with his grandfather was to go forward in time and help prepare his family for the coming war. Which brings us to the new millennium with John on forums. Not directly a part of his mission brief, but he was sent back to gather information on pre-war society and see what kind of reaction we would have to a time traveler. He felt safe posting because no one would believe him. So what we get is a man investigating us, getting to know who we are by the questions we would ask a time traveler. In the background, he is archiving as much different information as he can to hard drives and personal items like family videos and photos lost in the war. Taking time to gently criticize his father for the way he was raising his younger self. Titer has to watch the events that would go on to form his personality, both the good and bad traits. Could you keep your mouth shut and trust the process so that this version of you can become you? Or would you feel like you had to say something? That being said, what question would you ask a time traveler? Suspend your disbelief for a second. Just play with the thought. So much of the questions asked to him were the physics of time travel or just accusing him of being a fake. It's kind of boring, right? I want to know, listener, if you have any good questions, message me on Instagram or email thebeardedandboard at gmail.com email. Because I think I have a couple of questions. Whether or not they're good, who knows. The one question that plagued me was that if the future environment was messed up, why not send colony ships backwards in time? Part of the problem is that if you travel back, the further back you go, the greater the divergence from your original line. But is that really a problem? Let's say you created a massive colony ship. Of course, sending it back would have it land on a world line vastly different than the one you are on. But likely it would have a functioning environment. Get back to North America before it was settled by Europe and have a technological advantage on any would-be neighbors. 
Use your wisdom to guide the world to a happier future. Avoid the mistakes of the past. Is that unethical? Am I too much a product of a world that has not endured an apocalyptic event? But if the logic of an infinite multiverse exists, you are creating a new universe, not hijacking someone else's. The other question I have is that if his world line is messed up and people are suffering the effects of nuclear radiation, could healthy people of our world immigrate to his? I'm sure most of us, myself included, wouldn't meet the requirements of activated, hard-working individual. But there are some out there that could. Finally, the last question I would have is, if we were to pack a time capsule with something for John to take back to the future so that people could understand who we truly were, not the media representation, but who the fuck we actually are. I know I sure as shit roll my eyes at the news or whatever marketing directors think that I am when I watch an ad. So who are we? How could we show the people of the future who we are in today's society? For me, I'd send out a hard drive full of podcasts. Tell them Steve Dave, not after 30 podcast. Hello from the Magic Tavern, Dark Topic, The Abracast, Dick and Janes. Just a whole big varied list. Let them listen to our conversations so they can get a better idea of how we all look at the world and shake our heads too. Major societal changes are represented by the lessons John learnt during the war. Couldn't warn away people from death by probability. Like letting them know about an earthquake or bombing. He did give guidelines for surviving the war, only because very few would be capable of listening or accepting his advice. Telling us about the inevitable war was okay, because most people wouldn't listen, and any change would be our own doing. What we could do to prepare was get a bicycle, get replacement wheels, run for an hour every day, make three friends that you can trust within a hundred mile radius. You're going to need friends. Mutual support, varying skill sets, and a place to go when the police are performing raids. And when the shit really hits the fan, remember this if nothing else. Someone that is starving can walk about three days. That means you don't set up camp near a water source. You don't let people know where you sleep or you keep your food. Think about any city, town, or hamlet of today. It is dependent on the food chain. Mass-produced and shipped in from hundreds of kilometers away. Even in today's world, we can see the strain on our supply chain with the events of COVID. What's the longest you've ever gone without eating? Do you honestly know what hunger is? I've had to go a couple of days before payday, eating spaghetti noodles and margarine. Even then, I still can't truly know what it is to be without food. Or to know what it is like to see your kids go without food. When people get hungry, they can get fucking mean. You ever dealt with a hangry person? In today's society, we have an incomprehensible access to food. 
At no other point in history has there been so much. Most of us don't know how to hunt or fish anymore. Taking is something we all have the core concepts of. All these experiences shape individuals, mold a society. Titer offhandedly mentioned that he went through a lot of psychological testing to make sure that he was capable of handling the rigors of time travel. I don't know what those tests would be, but one thing I have a hard time accepting is that Titer can never truly go home. Once his mission here is complete, he would have to travel back to 1976, to a few seconds before he had arrived, then go forward in time to 2036. The world he arrived in would be very close to his, but not his, since it's mathematically possible, but extremely improbable to attain zero divergence. Let's say it could be a divergence of a little as 0.09%. Damn close, right? Every event, every memory you share with others would be in order. Everybody would have them. It would both be your world and not your world. John Titer is a married man. When he arrives back in 2036, a few seconds after he left originally, aged more than what command would have expected, he would presumably go home and hug his wife, but not his wife. John seems okay to understand that all versions of himself add up to the cohesive whole of his soul. That there is no John Prime, but infinite numbers of him trying their best to make it through their world's trials. I don't know if I could kiss my almost wife. Or nearly kids. I don't have the mind that could handle that. The other Tims are just that. They are not me. They did not experience the same things as me. Just nearly the same things. I have no right to their life. I would never get past the imposter feeling, the idea that they're all pod people and I'm in the wrong situation. Also, let's be honest, the poor fucker that gets mine is going to be fucking pissed. He did what with his life? I wonder if I could or would accept another more proactive, clearer thinking version of myself to step into my life and clean it up. Be like pushing a magic button. When other Tim is done, I get to step back in and reap the rewards. If the universe is infinite and everything is possible, let me just clearly state now, other Tim, if we are listening, we cool. Come on by, buddy. Take the reins. Timmy, take the wheel. Fix my fucking life. Keep pulling at this thread of all the different world lines and you have to eventually come to the Mandela Effect. Around 2010 is when I remember people starting to talk about the Mandela Effect. Mandela Effect is... We have different memories of very similar things happening slightly differently. It's named the Mandela Effect because there's a great many of us that distinctly remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 80s. He didn't. We remember the Berenstein Bears, because it's Berenstein Bears. But in this world, it's Berenstein Bears. The Monopoly Man apparently doesn't have a monocle like I remember. Tom Hanks doesn't say, Life is like a box of chocolates. 
In this world line, he says, life was like a box of chocolates. And the other one that sells me on the fact that we are living in a reality that I was not fucking born into is the famous line in Empire Strikes Back. It's the big fucking reveal. You got Darth Vader, you got Luke Skywalker. They're in the bowels of this fucking floating space station. Darth Vader reaches out to Luke and says, Luke, I am your father. People that have no love or respect for the wars know this line. It's the famous line. Everybody knows this. Until you rewatch it in this world line and you hear, I am your father. It's a small change, but it's just weird. Titer arrived in 1998 and hinted that he had taken steps to help this world line as a whole and learned a terrible lesson. Many believe this has to do with Y2K. We can't prove him wrong because it never happened. We can't prove him right because we don't know what he did. But what if what John did caused this event where we merged world lines? Where our world and a world so much like ours were no longer separated by this single event. So now we're overlapped. I talked to Kat about this script and some of the moral questions we will get into later or in another episode. She raised a great question. How could someone know if they are the true version of themselves? Are they the prime that all other versions are some kind of facsimile of? Who is the Timmiest Tim? To answer that, I'd have to say that if the Mandela Effect is real, and it is caused by world lines merging, the universe decided that this badass version of myself was the best for the infinite cosmos to survive, and the lesser Tim has gone to oblivion. So, Tim 1, infinite Tims, 0. This isn't meant to take away from the journey I hope I got to take you on. John Titer may not have existed. Even in his posts, he encouraged everyone to disbelieve him. Blind faith is never good. Investigations have led to a pair of brothers in Florida. One was an entertainment lawyer and the other a computer engineer. They have the rights to John's story. The original IP address was from the same town. They claim John's family gave them the information so that his story could continue after he left. A man named Joseph Metheny came forward a few years back and said that this was a literary experiment. He was not responsible for the story, but he was a consultant on it. What qualified him was his work on Ong's Hat. Ong's Hat was an augmented reality game where they created a mythos about Princeton professors in the bowels of the university discovering the technology to travel between dimensions. The tech was described as the egg. To follow the story, you had to listen to the radio, read zines, and follow along on various websites. When Joseph Metheny came forward, the others refused. John never took on any in-person or voice interviews, but had proxies that would, including a young woman that would pass along information for John or interview on his behalf. She was given a song that only her and John knew so that she could always identify him when he was messaging her from any of his dummy accounts. He needed his security to either keep up the hopes 
or from being locked up in a deep, dark bunker while scientists ripped apart his time machine. Joseph Metheny felt like this was an abuse of her trust. That to tell an interesting story was one thing. To take advantage of someone and use them as a tool to tell that story was unethical. And I think that I agree. Just because I can get someone to believe me doesn't mean I have the right to shape their truth. There are things that can be learned from this, even if it is a hoax. It's modern folklore. Examine the world we live in, contextualized by the technology we know exists and imagine that will come from of it. How do we treat that kind of possibility? Are we really so unarmed to change the world for the better? Is it worth a shot to prepare? How do we view our life when we know we are capable of infinite possibility? Thank you, listener. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have questions, if I missed something or got something wrong, please feel free to message me on the Instagram or email at beardedandboard at gmail.com. Be well, and don't forget to take a moment. An owl at the moon. Hoot hoot. I talked to Kat about this script and some of the moral questions we will get into later or in another episode and she raised a great a great question. <laughs>